The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 431 for September 7th, 2014. Apple's iPhone 6 announcement happens on Tuesday. Over a dozen smartphones announced at the IFA trade show in Berlin, and Android still reigns king in the U.S. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, the iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, it was the IFA trade show in Berlin this week where most of the news and device announcements happened. But let's kick things off first with some other news. First up, mobile payment service Isis announced that it would be rebranding to a new name, SoftCard. The service will remain the same with AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon still backing the venture. Isis announced its intention to rebrand earlier in the year to avoid association with the Islamic militant group Isis. So SoftCard, it is as the new name for the organization. The latest data from Comscore shows the number one smartphone OS in the U.S. continuing to be Android, but it saw a market share drop from 52.5% in April down to 51.5% in July. The second place, iOS, saw market share rise from 41.4% to 42.4% in the same time frame. Windows Phone kept the third spot, going from 3.3% in April to 3.6%. BlackBerry in fourth place with a market share drop from 2.5 to 2.3%. Now, the leading smartphone OEM in the U.S. continues to be Apple, claiming 42.4% market share in July, up from 41.4% in April. Samsung remained in the second spot with 28.4%. That's a slight rise from 27.7%. LG in a distant third with only 6.4% followed by Motorola at 5.7% and HTC with 4.7%. So if you do that math real quick, you find that 85% of all smartphone purchases in the U.S. are going to either Apple or Samsung. It is very interesting, really a two-horse race at this point. It is, and and you know you think that Samsung's you know still far behind Apple, but not that much, especially considering the competition in the Android market. So it really does show that uh, Samsung has got the huge chunk of the Android business, and hence uh, anything other than uh, Apple. Yeah, and I think if we look at uh, what's ultimately going to happen, it's going to be more of the same. Obviously, if you're someone that's going out to buy a smartphone these days, a Galaxy is uh, is one of the top choices that you're going for, or an iPhone, depending on which operating system you want. There's some great stuff that's out there, including some things that were announced this week that we want to talk about, though, just to, uh, to give perspective to what else is around. And uh, it's interesting because unlike the car market, which we oftentimes take uh you know as a kind of a reference point for us here when we talk about phones and just the different technology and and whatnot that's out there in the car market it's it's much more spread out it's not like you've got people buying only fords and gms it's it's this mixture of cars on the road certainly there are areas uh, that people buy more cars that are like each other uh where you've got as an example more sedans in a city and more trucks in the country uh, and then certain brands kind of align themselves with that buying that buying habit there but uh, it's it's a very different uh, type of thing that's going on here where you've got essentially two operating systems controlling just the the 
the absolute almost monopoly here, uh, over 90% of all smartphones that are out there, 94% to be uh, a little bit more precise, and then uh, 85% coming from just two companies that are selling these devices. So it's uh, it's uh, very, very interesting here. There's not a lot of competition. Uh, there, well, I should say there's a lot of competition, but there's not a lot of people buying competition. It's just these different, uh, these two groups here that are really going going head-to-head against each other. Moving on to some carrier news, Sprint this week announcing it has entered into LTE roaming agreements with 15 more rural network operators. The additions increase the number of carriers participating in Sprint's rural roaming preferred provider program to 27. According to Sprint, the roaming agreements extended across 565,000 square miles in 27 different states. It also covers more than 38 million people. The agreements allow Sprint customers to roam in the LTE networks of the rural carriers and vice versa. Roaming agreements allow Sprint to gain LTE coverage in areas where they don't have their own spectrum or have not yet deployed LTE. Some of the new participants include Bluegrass Cellular, Blue Wireless, Pine Belt Wireless, Pioneer Cellular, Public Service Wireless, and Syringa Wireless. T-Mobile on Thursday adding 10 new Metro PCS markets, now reaching customers in Chattanooga, Chicago, Kansas City, and St. Louis, as well as Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Norfolk, uh, and Newport News, and Richmond, Petersburg, Virginia, also Salt Lake City, and Yakima, Pasco, Richland, and Connecticut, Washington. Uh, According to T-Mobile, Metro PCS is available across 55 metro areas, and starting this week, subscribers to Metro PCS's $40 plan will see their data limit bumped from 500 to 1 gig of data. Subscribers of the $50 plan will see an increase from 2.5 to 3 gigs, and all customers will automatically be added to the new plans. T-Mobile doesn't charge overages, but does throttle back speeds for those that surpass their monthly data allotment. Boost Mobile on Tuesday announcing new plans with twice as much data across its prepaid offerings for cheaper monthly rates. Beginning on September 3rd, Boost is dropping the price of its three main plans from $40, $50, and $60 down to $35, $45, and $55 respectively. All three plans include unlimited talk and text. The $35 plan jumps from 500 megabytes to one gig of data. The $45 plan jumps from 2.5 up to 5 gigs of data, and the $55 plan jumps from 5 gigs up to 10 gigs of data. The promotion runs through November 3rd, after which prices go back to their normal rates and the data allotments drop back down to their normal limits. Shrinkage does not apply to the promotional rates. Lots of rumors and reports about what Apple will reveal this coming Tuesday in Cupertino, including a number of credible sources talking through the details of the iPhone 6 and a possible wearable known as the iWatch. The New York Times claims that Apple's unconfirmed iWatch will have a flexible screen and the iPhone 6 will have some kind of one-handed use mode. The iWatch's flexible screen will be protected by a cover composed of sapphire, a tougher type of glass. For a one-handed mode, the Times claims that it can be turned on and off, but it will allow for owners to type and use apps with just one hand. Apple has invited many more media outlets than normal to the press event this year, and they've got many fashion editors and bloggers a possible clue that the company is going to reveal the wearable. Reuters reports that Marie Claire and Fashionista are among the fashion media outlets who received invites from Apple. So lots of stuff going on with this. There's actually been videos that have been leaked out about supposed uh, operating iPhone 6s, so we actually have a good idea of what to expect with this one. It's uh, at a point right now with the, the amount of companies and the number of different sources and suppliers that are involved in, go- in the, the uh, supply chain here that it's just not possible anymore for Apple to uh, keep this, uh, this veil of secrecy over a product launch. 
boy, yeah, there is a lot. We saw a lot of the iPad uh, iPad errors leak out ahead of time, so we basically knew that was coming as well. And of course, the fingerprint sensor from uh, the iPhone 5s. So yeah, we've definitely seen a pretty good track record now of leaks. Now, of course, with the iWatch, it is a new product, and uh, maybe people aren't really attuned to what it is. Uh, I'm still not entirely convinced we're going to see a watch like the Motorola R- Motorola 360. Sorry, can't talk here today. And I think it's going to be, you know, my gut feel is more it's going to be something thinner, more like a, a Nike fuel band or something like that that's that's more stylish than a watch even right at this moment. I, I feel like it's going to be something compact because I don't know if people really want a big watch. I'm not convinced that it's going to be a watch. I mean, it certainly could be, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's something a little on the smaller side of things, not with a full interactive touchscreen. I'm I, just not sure. Well, here's the deal. Uh, the SDK was supposedly sent out this week to uh, to certain groups that are supposedly working on then developing applications for the smaller screen. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say I, I do think that we're gonna see something that is very akin to what is out there right now. It's just gonna have a lot more polish on it than something like uh, Samsung's Gear, uh, whatever they called it. Uh, but yeah, but the Moto 360 is a good example of one that actually looked uh, really nice, and I think a lot of people. People would be just fine putting that on their wrist. Yeah, I think so, too. And uh, of course, I wouldn't mind having something that has uh, some interactivity and, and something that you can actually maybe, I, I don't know, let's say reply to email, but at least to be able to do some sort of interaction uh, with the uh, with the notification that you get. Yeah. And I think if you, you know, if you look at what it is that you're actually going to be doing with this thing, it's it's going to probably be relatively limited to start. And then just like everything else, it'll be it'll be kind of up to how people are using it and app developers to kind of force in a uh, some more use cases and stuff like that. Think think of the iPad as an example. It was just absolutely um, a you know, yeah, you could run apps on it and stuff, but it, it turned from just a, a big a big iPad or excuse me, a big iPhone or a big iPod touch into what it is today which is a primary computing device for so many people and it'll be interesting to see what something like this can do and it's not that they're the first apple usually isn't with these types of things but they come out with uh, with something that pairs with one device uh, and that being the iphone and that is what i think is just so compelling to so many people is that okay you can go and you can buy a you know a smartwatch from another company and maybe it's the same company that's done the smartphone that's in your pocket but it's it's not necessarily something that you feel this this allegiance to in, in buying into the same brand as you do when 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 you talk to apple customers about something like this and so it's um there, there's a lot that uh, we we think we know right now of course we'll know a lot more here in just a couple of days so i suppose we'll leave it at that for this point and and uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about about this next weekend as well. I think so, because the mainstream media is really, uh, really have their eyes on Apple just because it is the, you know, the one of the bigger companies here in the U.S. And they uh, they have a lot of power as far as the consumer electronics right now, because that's the thing that everybody kind of kind of wants to have. And obviously not everybody, but the you know, a vast majority of people, you know, don't mind their products and would like to have them. It's interesting because I, I talk to people in the office about, you know, technology and things uh, quite a bit. And, you know, I've had I've had a lot of people ask me about, OK, so w- we've got this announcement coming up here next week. You know what what's going to be what's going to be in the phone and can I get it that day and stuff like that? We, I didn't have anybody asking me about what, what's with this new note for, you know, what's with the new note edge? You know, there's there's no there's no questions like that. Uh, that come out. So it's, uh, it's, it is definitely something that's on people's minds. And yeah, maybe mainstream media focuses on it more than than other types of uh, devices that are out there. 
but uh, I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. I read a lot of stuff, a lot of coverage about Samsung this week, and, and, and some of the people that I talk with, I know they read it too, and still, no real questions about this, but they are asking about the Apple devices. Yeah, and of course, uh, the rumors are that there's going to be some mobile payment uh, from Apple this week, which could be pretty interesting if they actually do put NFC in the device. Uh, that, to me, seems like it'd be a little uh, tricky to get people moving over to that uh, mobile play- payment platform with just NFC, just on the latest devices, because then that means there's no history with the the lots of people that have iPhone 5s, 5s's and they won't be upgrading for, you know, 2 to 3 years at the, you know, so uh, to me it seems like that'd be a real tough sell to get a uh, uh no pun intended for the mobile payment with NFC. Well, I think we're going to probably see a multifaceted approach because I think it's going to be something that does use NFC and I do think it's going to be something that doesn't have to use NFC. You're going to have some way to do it through uh, through the passbook or some other type of uh, application. Um, but uh, I, I, for one, it, it hit me right in the eyes this week on, on mobile payments that um, lost a credit card and had to cancel it and I've got to wait 10 days to get a new card. And it's like, you know, it, there's there's got to be a better way. I you know I I would not I would not lose a watch uh, in you know in the same way that you can easily lose a credit card uh, or a phone. I mean, it's just it's a, such a different thing. Not to mention you can easily lock it down and and do different things with it, and it's not just a piece of plastic floating around. Now that's an interesting. You just said watch. You wouldn't lose a watch. What if they have the NFC integrated into their wearable device, and that's what you use for the payments? Oh, I absolutely, I, I absolutely think that that's a possibility too. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Where you, you know, you are. I don't know how it works. Whether it's a proximity thing or whatever it is. I don't know. What do you think? I'm all for that. I mean, I really liked the uh, the Google Wallet when I had the Nexus S. That was kind of like the premier device of the mobile payment thing with the sm- the smartphone. I loved it. It worked great. And I could only use it at McDonald's. And that was, uh, that was about it at the time. And I used it a handful of times before the phone crapped out on me. But I really want something like this for not only for, uh, you know, just the convenience of, of payment, but also the security of it as well. Yeah, and the, the, the security—that's a whole other topic here. And uh, you know what? Again, let's 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 break from this. We're going to talk a whole bunch about it next week, and we've got a lot more to cover this week. Uh, before we leave Apple, though, not device-related, but CEO Tim Cook responded to the celebrity photo data theft from last weekend, talking about what they can do better to increase security and protect the privacy of their customers. The steps include sending notifications for account changes, backup restores, and new device logins. Further, Apple plans a broadened uh, deployment of a two-step verification and ramping up efforts to educate customers about the dangers of social engineering and phishing attacks, as well as the importance of strong passwords. The new services should start rolling out within the next couple weeks. All right, let's jump into device news here. We had just uh, a, a deluge of devices get announced this week, and Samsung on Wednesday unveiled four new products as part of the IFA conference in Berlin. New to Samsung this fall include the Galaxy Note 4, the Galaxy Note Edge, the previously announced Galaxy S smartwatch and the Gear VR virtual reality headset. So first up, the Galaxy Note 4, the next iteration of Samsung's phablet line. The phone includes a 64-bit quad-core Snapdragon 805 processor. This will vary by region and uh, depending on what kind of LTE is built into the thing. 3 gigs of RAM, a fingerprint scanner and heart rate monitor, a 16-megapixel rear-facing camera with optical image stabilization and 8 
X digital zoom, a 3.7 megapixel wide angle front facing camera, 32 gigs of internal storage, micro SDXC support up to 64 gigs, and Android KitKat 4.4. The phone also includes a rapid charge feature that charges charges the 3220 milliamp hour battery from 0 to 50% in just 30 minutes. Samsung's 5.7 inch Super AMOLED display features, get this, 1440 by 2560 pixel resolution, also known as Quad HD or 2K resolution. It also has a pixel density of 518 pixels per inch, and the colors on the screen have been described as simply brilliant, with no other smartphone in the world appearing as vivid as the Note 4. Connectivity includes support for both Category 4 LTE with maximum speeds of 150 megabits per second for download, and LTE Category 6, which has max speeds up to 300 megabits per second. It's got Wi-Fi 802.11, A, B, G, N, and AC, as well as GPS, NFC, and Bluetooth version 4.1. Dropbox is partnering with Samsung to give customers 50 gigs of uh, free storage for two years. Dropbox integration has been part of the Note package for the last two years, but the company says that they're also tightening integration, and anyone who buys any Samsung device will get access to all of Dropbox's core applications. The Samsung Note 4 will be sold by all four major U.S. carriers and should be available in the next upcoming months. Next up, the Galaxy Note Edge, much the same as the Note 4 with only one big difference. That is a one edge of the device curved downward, taking advantage of Samsung's new flexible display technology and turning it into a 160 pixel wide secondary display. Specs include a 5.6 inch quad HD Super AMOLED display, a 2.7 gigahertz quad core processor, 16 megapixel rear camera, uh, 3.7 megapixel front camera, 3 gigs of RAM, 32 or 64 gigs of internal storage with micro SD for up to 64 gig support, category 4 LTE and category 6 as well. The same Wi-Fi, GPS, NFC, uh, all those uh, different uh, connectivity options are built in. Also, a 3,000 milliamp hour battery, Android 4.4 KitKat. The Note Edge will be sold later this year by all four top national U.S. carriers. This is an interesting uh, device, kind of a goofy design. Uh, certainly, it's uh, it kind of feels like a throw something against the wall and see if it sticks type of thing, um, but uh, can be, I guess, useful if you're someone who's looking for just a little bit more screen real estate to do just some more uh, very little things to, uh, to, to get information uh, sent over to you. So either way, uh, the Note Edge is yet another option from Samsung. Yeah, I would think my hand would be kind of covering that secondary display a lot uh, while using it. So it seems like it's more of a kind of while it's sitting idle uh, style display. Yeah, I think so. You know, the, the biggest use case that I've heard for this is uh, if you plug it in at night, it turns into an alarm clock. So you don't need an alarm clock on your nightstand and you can just have the edge of uh, the phone then as the clock and uh, go go with that. So uh, but either way, it's uh, again, very, very similar to the Note uh, Note 4, just a uh, a tenth of an inch smaller on the screen size. Then there's the Galaxy Gear S. This uh, Samsung had already announced this. It's Samsung's first smartwatch with a two-inch display, and this one has a built-in cellular radio, so it does need a companion smartphone to function. And also, finally, the Gear VR. This is a head-mounted visor that uses the Note 4 to provide a virtual reality experience through a, the point of view of Marvel's Avengers characters, Cirque du Soleil, IMAX, 
and more uh, sort of interesting there, but uh, at the same time, not really mobile-related. Now, Samsung wasn't the only manufacturer announcing new products. Uh, there were pretty much uh, everyone that makes an Android phone did something this week. Next up in the announcements ring was Sony. The Japanese company announced the first smartwatch to run Google's Android Wear platform from them. It's called the SmartWatch 3. The third-generation device leaves the proprietary platform in favor of Google's platform of wearables. Sony says the SmartWatch 3 offers a wider range of standalone features when compared with other Android Wear devices, including a media player and built-in accelerometer, compass, gyroscope, and GPS for fitness tracking. The screen measures 1.6 inches across the diagonal and includes 320 by 320 pixels set in a stainless steel frame. The SmartWatch 3 is waterproof and dust-resistant. It will be sold in several uh, colors in the months ahead. Sony also announced the SmartBand Talk. This is a wearable that uses a 1.4-inch paper display for always-on functionality. The device has a built-in microphone and speaker that can be used as a Bluetooth phone accessory for making and taking calls. It also has waterproof and dust re- uh, resistance. Both devices are compatible with Sony's Life Logging platform for fitness tracking activity and sharing via social networks. But the smartwatches weren't the first things, they weren't the only things from Sony. It also announced its next-generation flagship smartphone at the event. The Xperia Z3 family includes three different devices the Z3, Z3 Compact, and Z3 Tablet Compact. All three devices share nearly identical software features and many of the same hardware features. The Z3 uh, family are all water and dustproof and rely on Sony's omni-balanced design language. Some common traits of the Z3 and Z3 Compact include a 20.7 megapixel Exmor sensor camera sensor with a G lens, a 25 millimeter wide angle viewfinder, and the ability to increase ISO up to 12,800 for improved low light capture. The camera includes steady shot for image stabilization and digital noise cancellation for superior audio capture. The displays for use Sony's triluminous and mobile Bravia technology. Both devices are certified with PlayStation 4 compatibility. They have 2.5 gigahertz quad core Snapdragon 801 processors as well as various wireless radios and sensors such as LTE, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth. The Z3 is the larger of the two phones and has a 5.2-inch full HD screen with slimmer bezel and smaller overall handprint. It is a curved aluminum frame and features two full days of battery life. The Z3 Compact is a smaller device that drops the display down to five, or excuse me, 4.5 inches and a 720p resolution but keeps most of the other same features as the Z3. According to Sony, T-Mobile will sell the Z3 in the U.S. None of the other U.S. carriers have announced support yet for the Z3 Compact. Both devices go on sale later this year. Now, alongside the Z3 family of devices, Sony also announced the E3. This is a modest handset for the budget-conscious customer. The E3 uses the omnibalanced design language common to the Z3 phones, but it's also using cheaper materials. Built on a plastic frame rather than aluminum, the E3 has a five, excuse 4.5-inch scratch-resistance display play 5 megapixel camera 1.2 gigahertz quad core processor with adreno 305 graphics it includes 1 gig of ram and 4 gigs of storage with support for micro sd cards the front camera captures vga images and video the e3 runs android 4.4 kitkat and sony's branded apps it comes in several colors and will go on sale later this year 
Next, it was HTC's turn, announcing the Desire 820 early on Thursday morning. The 820 is a follow-up to the 816 from earlier this year. HTC created a new process called Double Shot to combine the different colored plastics that they use to give the phone a unique look. The 820 is notable because it uses Qualcomm Snapdragon 615 processor with two banks of four cores, one at 1.5 gigahertz and one at 1 gigahertz. It has two gigs of RAM, 16 gigs of storage, and supports micro SD cards up to 64 gigs. The 615 integrates a Category 4 LTE as well as smartphone standards such as dual band Wi-Fi, Bluetooth 4, and GPS. It features a 5.5-inch 720p LCD display surrounded with HTC's signature Boom Sound stereo speakers. The Desire 820 has a 13 megapixel camera and 8 megapixel selfie camera with BSI sensor and 1080p HD video capture. Software tools that included that are included in the Desire include editing on the go. The HTC Desire 820 runs Android 4.4 KitKat and Sense 6.0 and will come in a variety of colors. It will uh, ship in various markets beginning at the end of September. HTC didn't say if the phone will be made available in the U.S. Huawei had an announcement this week as well with the Ascend Mate 7, an Android smartphone that adds a fingerprint sensor and biometric security. The Mate 7 has a 6-inch IPS screen that has negative liquid crystal display technology. The bezels along the sides of the screen are minimal, creating an invisible edge and providing a screen-to-body ratio of uh, 83%. Huawei added metal to the design to give it more of a premium look. The entire back is made out of a forged piece of metal, and the edges are chamfered to give it a high-end appearance. Uh, the handset supports NFC, is 7.9 millimeters thick, and houses a 400 and four, excuse me, 4,100 milliamp hour battery. The phone comes in black, gold, and silver. Finally, on Thursday was Microsoft's division Nokia announcing the Lumia Denim software update and two new handsets. First, Lumia Denim, the biggest improvement uh, to it being making Cortana easier to use. It introduces the Hey Cortana command to launch Cortana for creating reminders and launching other actions. Denim brings geofencing powers to Cortana so it can recognize geographic areas for assisting in reminders and tasks. Lumia Denim also makes improvements to the camera application. For example, the startup process has been sped up so the camera launches faster, is quicker to capture individual shots, and adds a quick capture mode that records 4K video with an 8.7 megapixel image uh, images and works with software to pull out individual shots from the video. Lumia Denim will be first available on the Lumia 930, 1520, and Icon, with others to follow in the fourth quarter. The separate camera application will also be made available during the fourth quarter to just the 930, 1520, and Icon. As for new hardware, Nokia launched the Lumia 830, which Nokia calls its flagship device, without the premium price. It runs Windows Phone 8.1 and the just-announced Lumia uh, Denim software update. It includes a smaller uh, footprint than the 930, but offers many of the same features and the same overall design. It includes a PureView 10-megapixel camera with Zeiss optics and optical image stabilization. A new rich capture mode snaps a series of images and with without the flash, so it users can later choose to add light to their image for a more balanced result. The HDR mode has also been improved too, so high-contrast images can be more properly exposed to get all the details of the image. Front-facing camera is just one megapixel, but captures 720p video. The 830 has a removable rear cover for wireless charging, and also built-in is a 2200 
100 milliamp hour battery with the 830. Nokia is showing off a new charging plate. The charging plate is smart in that it includes NFC with customized notifications as it senses the device's battery, requires charging, or an incoming call. The plate includes the same orange, green, and white covers uh, colors. The 830 itself manages... Uh, manages to measure just 8.3 millimeters and contains a 1.2 gigahertz quad-core Snapdragon 400 processor, 5-inch 720p display, 16 gigs of storage, and support for memory cards up to 128 gigs. The Lumia 830 is priced at 330 euros, or about $435. It ships globally starting this month. Also from Nokia, the Lumia 735, a device that features advanced self-imaging tools. The 735 has a 5-megapixel camera with a wide-angle lens and dedicated Lumia selfie application. The app automatically launches the user-facing camera and has its own editing features such, such as filters, toning, and even slimming down faces and whitening teeth. The rear camera has a 6.7-megapixel sensor, Zeiss Optics, f1.9 aperture, and a tool that helps users center their face in the frame for higher-quality selfies. The phone has a 4.7-inch 720p HD display, 22 20mAh battery, 1.6GHz quad-core Snapdragon 400 processor, and 8 gigs of storage. The Lumia 735 runs Windows Phone 8.1 and will come with the Denim System update preloaded. The device will ship with a free 3-month trial of Skype International Unlimited. The device costs €219, or about $300. Alcatel on Thursday announcing the Hero 2, an Android phablet aimed at the general consumer. The phone features a 6-inch full HD display that Alcatel claims covers 90% of the phone's front face. It is protected by a dragon tail glass to prevent breakage, and it's powered by an octa-core processor with two sets of four cores running at 2 gigahertz each. It has 2 gigs of RAM, 16 gigs of storage, and supports micro SD cards up to 32 gigs. The Hero 2 has a 3100 milliamp hour battery, and Alcatel says it gives a full day at intense usage. The main camera captures 13.1 megapixels and includes HDR, face detection, and optical image stabilization. The 1080p HD video capture feature is also there, and the user-facing camera captures pictures at 5 megapixels. The Hero 2 boasts the usual set, uh, number of wireless radios, including LTE, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and GPS. It supports DM. DLNA for sharing includes an FM radio and has a wide range of sensors. The phone is compatible with Alcatel's Magic Flip covers and can, uh, which can display current track information for music as well as alerts and incoming or missed calls. Alcatel didn't say when the Hero 2 will be available nor what it would cost. Huawei on Thursday announcing the Ascend G7, a mid-range device that boasts a 5.5-inch 720p HD screen and support for worldwide LTE networks. The device is powered by a 1.2 gigahertz quad-core Snapdragon 400 processor and a 3,000 milliamp hour battery. Huawei says the battery lasts two days under heavy use, but the G7 still includes a low power mode that can squeeze out 24 hours of battery life by cutting down the number of apps, screen brightness, and other functions. The G7 includes a 13 megapixel main camera and a 5 megapixel user facing camera with an 88 degree field of view for front photos. The G7 has mostly a metallic finish and will be available in white, black, and gold. It goes on sale in select markets in September with other markets to follow. Huawei did not say though if the device would be coming to the US. And wrapping up handset announcements for the week was Motorola. The company on Friday announced two new handsets copying the names from last year's models with the new Motorola G and Motorola or Moto X. 
First, the new flagship, the second-generation Moto X. The Moto X sports a larger 5.2-inch AMOLED Full HD screen, Snapdragon 801 processor, and 13-megapixel camera with 4K video capture. It's also thinner with features of a, featuring an aluminum frame and sl- sides uh, as Gorilla Glass in the front and also a curved beveled edge. The new Moto X is available with custom color combinations and materials through Moto Maker, now including leather backs and custom accent colors on the front. New infrared sensors allow the phone to automatically wake up and show the time when the hand, your hand is near the front of it and wave gestures, silence calls, and other alarms. The hands-free voice activation phase uh, phrase can be now customized to something other than OK Google Now. Turbocharging adds eight hours of battery life in just 15 minutes. And the best shot feature captures several photos before you press the shuttle shutter and uses face uh, recognition to automatically suggest a better shot if you were late to make a capture. The new Moto X will be available with Moto Maker customization on both AT&T and Verizon. It'll cost $99 on contract or $499 unlocked and will ship later this month. Now, a revamped Moto G with a larger 5-inch screen, memory card slot, and dual front speakers was also announced. The second-generation G also upgrades the main camera to an 8-megapixel and the selfie camera to 2-megapixel. The Moto G retains the 3G-only radios and the same Snapdragon 400 1.2 GHz processor. The phone comes in either 8 or 16 gigs of internal memory configurations and comes in black or white. The rear cover snaps off and eight color options are available as accessories as well as covers with a flip over cover that automatically locks and unlocks the screen. The Moto G is on sale for just $180 unlocked. Now, in other device news from Motorola, the company unveiled a $150 wireless earbud they're calling Hint, and it connects to your phone and uses voice-activated commands to ask for directions, conduct voice searches, and get text messages spoken out to you, plus more features. AT&T said that it will support Motorola Hint for the reading of text messages. Now, as for the Moto 360, AT&T previously announced the smartwatch. The company said that it's now available in black leather and a limited edition gray leather with suede finish in the U.S. for $250 on Motorola.com, Google Play, and through Best Buy. Additionally, the Moto 360 will be available in two metal options later this year for $300. For those who buy the Moto 360 today, there will be an option to purchase the metal band later this fall for just $80. Leather bands will also be available independently for $30 at that time. Now, aside from the device announcements, Motorola has a trade-in program for buyers of the new Moto X and the Moto Maker website. When you buy a new custom Moto X, you can send in your old phone to get a Motorola Visa prepaid card back in the mail, depending on the phone, up to $300. So lots of devices here this week, lots of stuff going on there. Uh, the the two that I'm most excited about are number one, uh, obviously the Samsung devices. I really, I, I think a lot of the Note devices, I've used both the Note 2 and the Note 3. And while I don't know that I would actually be able to use that as my full-time device because of the size, I do appreciate the functionality and just how powerful that device is. I know a lot of people just absolutely love their Notes. Uh, and secondly, Really excited about this new Moto X. Uh, that is the latest uh, Android phone that I've uh, had had used, and that was just a, a handful of months ago. And I really thought that was uh, just a great device here overall. They've made it bigger, which you know I think that was one of the the 4.7 inch screen sizes uh, biggest uh, things on the on the device on the original Moto X was just how great that phone felt to hold. So they've increased that a little bit here, and now we're up to 5.2 inches. And so we'll see just how that works for people. And uh, ultimately, though, I think Motorola is probably going to have another hit on their hands, at least from from their perspective. 
And it seems like to me that it's a good idea that they left the name Moto X. You know, they actually built up some uh, identity with that particular device. And if they start changing the names to X2, X, you know, that may not be wise for them. So I think it's actually kind of good that they stuck with it, even though there could be some confusion about which model you're getting. I, I, I do think that maybe in the long run, if they stick with that, it could be good for their brand to actually build some identity with that. Yeah. And I think if you take and you say we've got, you know, the new Moto X and you just kind of do that over and over, uh, you know, you call it the 2014 model, you call it the 2015 model, whatever it is, it's fine. People aren't going to really care all that much. I think it's, uh, you know, it, it certain in certain regards, it, it does make sense if you're trying to differentiate something very, very dramatically. Uh, but again, this is just kind of a refresh of it and making something that was already a very good phone even better. Yeah, and I agree with you. I, I do like the uh, the Motorola X. You know, the the Galaxy Note to me, I, I I've now seen a uh, I've got a couple of coworkers with them, and they're out on their desks all the time. And I look at that thing, and I just I, I could not carry that. I it just would not actually be feasible for me to actually use that phone on a daily basis. So it's kind of uh you know while I do like the functionality and appreciate the the stylus and everything, it's just it's just not uh, something I would ever get. Yeah, well, I think uh, you know if you're if you're looking for something that is really going to be in your hands a lot. Uh, you're going to need to take notes on it. You're going to, you want absolutely as much screen size as possible. You want to take advantage of, uh, you know, just doing two apps at the same time, just everything that it can. It's a great, it's a great device to choose. And uh, it's, it's something that still can fit in a pocket. It's not as big as the smaller, you know, seven inch tablets. Um, but it's, it's as pretty much as big as you'd ever want to go, I think, uh, on a phone. So either way, good stuff there. Uh, lots of different devices here, and we'll see all of them start trickling out here in the coming months ahead. In uh, other news here, Asus Wednesday announced the Zen Watch. This is its first smartwatch that runs Google's Android Wear platform. Relatively classic design on this thing. It, of course, uses Bluetooth to connect back to a phone, and it's got a 320 by 320 resolution screen. Um, this one is, uh, is, is very interesting, though, because it's got a 9-axis sensor in it for monitoring and interacting with surroundings. It features what Asus calls a biosensor, which is fitted into the ring that surrounds the watch face. So when paired with other applications, it allows for checking of a user's heart rate by pressing their finger to the display. Asus added other unique features, such as an SOS function that can place emergency calls if it determines that the watch uh, user has fallen and needs assistance. The Zen Watch is also available uh, this year, and it will be out for $260, though no word on launch markets. Uh, finally, in devices, uh, upcoming Cadillacs and other GM vehicles will include dual standards on wireless charging that will support phones with either the Qi or WPC standard or PowerMat PMA standard. The first car to support the new charger will be the 2015 Cadillac ATS, followed by the CTS and the Escalade. Other GM vehicles are expected to receive the solution by the end of the year. The chargers work by placing the phone on top of a flat charging surface located in the center console of the vehicle. Uh, love this idea. Whenever I need to plug in my phone, I actually keep the uh, the charger in my center console, and I've got a little tray in there, so I put the phone in there, plug it in, and close the console, and uh, just kind of get it out of the way so I'm not futzing with it or dealing with it. If a call comes in, I'll answer it over the Bluetooth, and I really like that. So uh, saving the wire, saving the step of plugging it in would actually make me use this a lot more, so I love this idea. And it's like motivation to get it out of the way into a cabinet, into a little you know cubby hole, if it's got the, the charging. If you're like, oh, 
I can charge my phone and without having to plug it in and by throwing it in in this container, that's re- you know that's really pretty good to get it out of your hands. Yeah, I like the idea of it a lot. I, I that's one of the reasons why I keep the the charging. And I think I've got a, a short charging cable, so I can't actually go out of the uh, out of the center console if I decide to plug it in. So that that kind of helps even more to keep your hands off the phone and not not be thinking about it because it's charging, it's plugged in. So there you go. Software news: Skype on Thursday updating its application for the iPhone, adding the ability to host group calls. The updated app can initiate calls to groups with a single tap and allow participants to see who's on the call, as well as adding and dropping participants. Skype 5.4 for the iPhone is free to download from the iTunes App Store. On to questions and comments. First up, a comment from Jeff. He says, Mickey and Joey, I avoid buying from eBay and Craigslist after buying some phones that were still financed, then became bricked after the seller stopped paying on it. Swappa, the phone buying service, promises that phones are safe from them if you buy from them, and I've been using them in the past. However, people need to know that when you you can buy a phone from Swappa, which could still have a balance. If the seller stops paying on it after you buy it, you'll have a blacklisted phone. This just happened to me. When I asked Swappa for help, the following was their response. They said, quote, when we approve devices, they show the status of the device as clean. Please remember that the device's status can be changed at any time. The non-payment issue must have occurred on a recent bill from the original owner after approval. Regardless, this was not Swappa's fault, and it is the fault of the person who purchased the phone. Uh, if you contact the seller, we will do everything we can to track down what happened and uh, with this device and fix the problem. I'm sorry for the inconvenience. The incident is a problem. Uh, is a problem for for us, just as for you and I. Certainly want to assist you in this matter. So um, anyway, so Jeff says, so people need to avoid phones financed by carriers. The only safe phone to buy secondhand would be really a Google edition phone or phones that you know are sold only at full price from the manufacturer. Well, this doesn't really make sense. I mean, uh, that the financed phones can even be called clean if they're financed, right? I mean, shouldn't the balance have to be paid off for them to even be shown as clean? I don't understand why that uh, they become bricked after the fact. I mean, I guess that maybe the paperwork hasn't quite caught up with them yet, but still a a carrier shouldn't, you know, even activate a phone for you if it still has financing on it, or if you call to uh, verify that, you know, it's a clean, you know, a clean uh, IMEI or ESN, it it, it shouldn't have financing at all. So this is kind of a, it's kind of a weird uh, loophole we've fallen into here with some of these new financing programs, it sounds like. Yeah, it does. Uh, it uh, does sound like a problem too, as Jeff has uh, experienced here. And you know, from a from a perspective of is it a clean ESN? Basically, what they're doing is they're running it against the database of stolen or lost phones that are not a- available uh, to be activated on there. So, um, unfortunately, this is uh, this is something that you absolutely need to be thinking about if you're buying uh, buying secondhand or used phones that you could have this issue on them. I guess the other thought is if you buy something that's a little bit older and you realize that it's probably been around for at least two years, then it's probably out of contract and out of the possible uh, process of going through financing. So, um, but yeah, something to definitely consider and make sure you're buying from a reputable source. Uh, next up is a comment from Joseph. He says, you had a, a question from a listener regarding the compatibility of the Jitterbug phone. Uh, you mentioned it was CDMA only, but if it, it would have been unlocked, there was some doubt on whether or not it could be activated on Verizon if the MEID was not in their system. I seem to recall that there was legislation that basically said that if a device is compatible, it could be used with any carrier. If this is the case, I'm wondering why any device that is technology compatible cannot be used on another carrier. If there's a lock on the handset, the ca- carrier should be able to give you the code to make sure that the device is free and clear. 
i.e. I'm still not in contract. So I know the GSM, there's never been a problem with this as long as the device is unlocked and frequency compatible so that it can be used on another GSM system. Wondered uh, if there's any other comments on this. So um, as we mentioned on the show last week, uh, you know, it's really up to Verizon uh, if they want to do this, if they want to activate a phone or not. There absolutely is and was legislation that said, yeah, if you've got an unlocked phone, it needs to be available to be activated on that. But here's the deal. Um, if you're if you're Verizon and, and you don't have that uh, that device in your system, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's you can activate it. So if it has not been certified, I think is the other thing that, that they run into. So a perfect example of this is the latest Nexus uh, where it was released with L- Nexus 7, that is. It was released with LTE built into it, and it was a, uh, a radio that had uh, the ability to work on multiple different uh, carriers, including Verizon. Uh, but if you tried to get a, a SIM and activate it on Verizon, they would not do it because it had not been certified. That ultimately got fixed. But um, the, the the loophole of this was that you could get a SIM from Verizon, get that SIM activated, then pop it in to the Nexus 7. It would work just fine because the SIM is where the service is, is on, and uh, the, the device device is just basically going through that to uh, to do it but uh, we're talking here about jitterbug phones where we're talking about 3g devices these are stuff uh, these are devices that you have to activate through the actual id and not through a sim card so it's um it's it's something that uh, ultimately i think is going to be a little bit more tricky and again it's really up to Verizon if they want to activate it or not. So again, I would uh, I would find out by contacting them directly if the uh, the MEID that you have of a jitterbug a specific phone is going to be available to be activated, uh, and hopefully you can get that information before you go out and make that purchase. Next up, a question from Patrick. He says, "Hello TCPJ. I noticed that battery cases like the Mophie double battery life, but unfortunately double the thickness of the phone. I recently replaced the internal battery of an iPhone 4, and it is not thick by any means. So, why are these cases so thick? I'm not an expert on case designs, but I they do they really need to have all that extra padding in order to make that case. Thanks, Patrick." Yeah, I think what happens is you've got the the multiple layers of plastic. You've got the the top and the bottom of the case in addition to the battery being sandwiched in there. So by the time you add those three layers together, you're already at, you know, massive thickness compared to what the battery is because you're probably almost doubling that size, uh, you know, maybe almost doubling the size of the battery by the time you get done adding the plastic. Yeah, well, so I have one. It's it's from a company called Max Boost. Um, and it adds very little to the thickness. And uh, so if you look at from where if you look at where the battery part of it is stored, um, it, you know, it really has to, as Joey points out, has to do with the design around it. Um, also, keep in mind, some of these have the ability to charge the phones more than once. Um, so a lot of the Mophies are, you know, like two and a half times or something that they can charge it. Um, they do have the, the really, really minimalist ones that only charge it one time. Um, but uh, maybe it's not two and a half times. It's one and a half times, I suppose. But either way, yeah, there, there are some other th- considerations there about just how much capacity is in there. Yeah. And that's what you really have to look at is the, you know, the milliamp hour uh, specifications of the device uh, case you're adding. I mean, because, yeah, maybe it uh, doubles the thickness. But maybe it's got, yeah, double the life, triple the life. Who knows what it could. I mean, it could be anything depending on how big the battery is. There's one other thing is that if you if you look at the type of battery that Apple is using versus the type of battery that these manufacturers are using, you may see some differences there. And uh, certainly there could be some efficiencies that Apple is using with their technology process in creating this. Um, But, uh, yeah, there's you know, if you think about how, how big that battery is. Um, and, and the other thing is weight too, right? Cause they want to make sure that it's, uh, you know, it's thin, but it also protects that, that cell. Um, and, uh, that's what part of the case does. So uh, a lot of considerations here. I, I don't really have a, a, 
a more clear answer than that. Obviously, these manufacturers are doing a lot with the design of these. Um, you know, at the bottom of the phone, of course, you've got all the connectivity stuff that's going on there. And so it's got to add in. And then, of course, the design of coming around the sides of the phone and connecting with the bottom of it where it's that actually has got the lightning connector in it or the, the 30 pin connector. It's got to have, uh, you know, some stuff going on in there as well and, and making sure that all of that is good. So a lot of considerations here uh, as they put together these cases. Next up is a question from John. He says, Mickey and Joey, with T-Mobile acquiring low-end 700 megahertz spectrum from Verizon and starting to deploy it, are phones that are currently being sold on T-Mobile able to utilize the new spectrum? If so, what about older phones? Indoor coverage and more 4G coverage are about my only two complaints with T-Mobile and with recent network upgrades to get rid of 2G-only areas and this new spectrum, I think it will eliminate my two complaints. Thanks to you both, John. Well, John, uh, so phones currently sold by T-Mobile likely do not have the right 700 megahertz capacity in them. You'll have to look for the right LTE band in them. So in T-Mobile's case, they operate on band 12 in that new 700 megahertz range. So yes, that is the same as the U.S. cellular band, but different from the primary bands that both AT&T and Verizon use. So those are bands 4 and 13, respectively, versus that 12 that T-Mobile is going to be using. Also look for newer phones that will have this have these bands included. So the Note 4 is a good example. That hit the FCC this week. Band 12 was included in the testing for that. So this brand new Note will have the ability to use that band for T-Mobile when they get that stuff up and rolling. So there is good news for new devices. Unfortunately, though, old devices, you're probably out of luck. Next up, a question from Remington. He says, Mickey uh, and Joey, I've been noticing a lot of carriers have been lowering their prepaid plans lately. Uh, I used to have the 30 gig uh, $30 five gig T-Mobile plan, uh, but I had to switch since my work was demanding on my minutes. Right now I'm on the 2.5 gig plan with Cricket Wireless. Do you know of any GSM prepaid or MVNO carriers that offer unlimited talk, text, and 2.5 gigs of data or more, as well as LTE connectivity, tethering included, and your LTE data is not throttled for $50 a month or less? So far, the only plan I've found that comes close is the 3 gig plan for Metro PCS. Thanks for your help in advance and love the show. Sincerely, Remington. Uh, well, Remington, first off, I was going to say Metro PCS is probably the, the best way to go, I, I think, for, for the GSM side. That's that's a that's a great option there. Um, also, you can take a look at um, Cricket Wireless. There, the the MVN. Well, you've got Cricket Wireless right now, so that I guess that's it. Um, um, then uh, you know the other ones that come to mind are Virgin or Boost. Uh, those, however, are not GSM, but uh, certainly do offer some pretty good options. And those were the ones that we talked about earlier. And those, keep in mind, are going to be using the Sprint network versus that of T-Mobile or AT&T. Um, you also have, you still have the straight talk plans that are out there, though those give you um, the, some fairly limited uh, amounts of data there. So just keep that in mind and uh, make sure you do your homework on those. But uh, Metro PCS is the one I would take a look at. And uh, with all the new markets out now, they're, uh, they're a more viable option than they have been in the past. Finally today, we've got a voicemail from Mel. Hi, guys. It's Mel from the Midwest. I know you're having an awesome Sunday and probably have zillions of things to tell us about IFA, but I do have a more mundane question, which may help other people as well. I'm mostly Android, but I now have an iPad. So the question is, do you have a password keeper that will work on both sides of that fence? I have an Android-only one. Uh, and, um, you know, now i got to keep on looking stuff up on the phone. So if you have a recommendation, I would love it. Have a great weekend. I'm looking forward to hearing you guys on the podcast. 
Mel, great to hear from you as always. So here's the deal. Uh, there are a number of options that you can use for password minders or keepers. Uh, some of them do uh, just a kind of a simple thing that is uh, just storing a password in there for you. Uh, other ones actually create passwords for you and could be a, a much more um, in-depth solution, but it could be something that you find useful. So uh, some of the ones that I would recommend include password box. Dashline and mSecure for kind of just a general password management type of solution. If you're looking for something more robust that uh, generates pretty complex and complicated passwords that will definitely help to keep you safer when you're online, take a look at 1Password and LastPass. So uh, those are the ones that I would take a look at for your multi-platform needs. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 206-203-3734, and leave a voicemail just as Mel did, or send email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com, and we'll get your questions and or comments on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.